And we're back, TMI, with Aldous Tyler. Now, as I've been informed, John Fugelsang is in the building, making his way here right now. Now, why is he important? Why am I making a big deal about getting him on here? Well, okay. If you don't know the answer to the question, allow me to illuminate. Um, John Fugelsang has been a commentator on Stephanie Miller's uh, program for a couple of years now, and he has guest hosted for the Bill Press Show. But that's not the extent of his experience. John has a very unique perspective. John brings to the table a very strong background in religion. Specifically, he was a Catholic. I believe he still is. Um, and as such, it's very interesting to hear him talk because he's extremely liberal, extremely progressive, very much believes in the separation of church and state, but he has this background in religion that, that um, a lot of people don't, aren't able to bring to the table, which means that when he speaks to someone who is using religion as a way to try to control or bludgeon others, it's a, it's a matter of, um, he's able to do it from a perspective of someone who believes He's not uh, he's not one of the, quote unquote, liberals who just don't believe anything. Um, he actually has a religious background that he can, as I said, bring to the table and make the discussion that much more relevant. Now, I am very happy to say that joining us right now, in fact, is the man I have been talking about, Mr. John Fugelsang. John, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you. What a pleasure to be here. All right. Well, I thought a pleasure to finally be here. Sorry, the, 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 the parking situation was confounding to a, a hick like me. Oh, well, yeah. Well, New York City, you guys just have no idea what traffic is. Uh, that's true. Um, so, you know, it's really quite amusing to me, too, is, is that I was thinking to myself, you know, I just posted um, a few weeks ago on my Facebook wall a picture of the traffic going downtown into Madison going, Badger games are my number one enemy to getting on the air. <laughs> I know. I picked the wrong weekend. And they come to a show here, but it's actually amazing. Everyone's walking around dressed like they belong to some some red and white cult, and uh, they're all going to a, a mass ceremony. I assume that means freezing for a game. Uh, and indeed, especially given that it's decided to become quite Arctic. Now, um, some people might say, well, I guess that's no global warming, but I think you and I might know a little different on that. Uh, yes, I think changes in ch changes in temperature and weather are not the same as global climate change. Absolutely. Now, I was giving people just a quick background because I knew you were coming on up here, and I really appreciate that. My pleasure. Um, I was telling them that unlike a lot of commentators who are out there, you bring the fact that you are religious as well as spiritual to the table when you talk about politics, that, that you have this, that you have a, a firm background in there so that when someone who is using religion as an excuse to try to oppress others, you really can fire back at them very effectively. Well, uh, thank you. I would take issue with two words. Uh, I don't know that I'm religious and I don't know that I'm a commentator. Uh, I, I don't know what it takes to be a pundit and I don't consider consider myself one. I'm, I'm a comedian uh, and, and I, uh, I, I focus on politics. And so uh, no one should take anything I say uh, seriously. I have no credentials. Uh, I'm just <laughs> a guy who makes fun of this sort of stuff on, on, on in clubs and on TV and on the road. Um, and I don't know that I'm religious per se. You know, they, they I consider myself Catholic still. I don't think the Pope would, but I come from <laughs> a, a strangely Catholic background. My mother was a nun before she married and my father uh, was a Franciscan brother who met my mom. Uh, she of the South. He was from Brooklyn, fell madly in love, carried a torch in secret for 10 years, couldn't tell her his feelings. And finally, uh, 
uh, finally got her. So, I, I, you know, they both left the clergy, had me, and I became a comedian because I could never afford the therapy I actually needed. And um, <laughs> so so uh, they say that the largest growing religious group in America is Mormons. I think the largest growing religious group in America is uh, people who were raised religious and now consider themselves spiritual. That gets mocked a lot, but I think that it's because a lot of folks are turned off to uh, the hypocrisies of organized religion. They have a spiritual yearning, but they've been let down by, you know, guys in dresses and funny hats. Well, you know, I, I consider myself amongst that number myself. Yeah. I, I, uh, I was raised, um, uh, Baptist and, um, by the time I was nine, I'd, I'd actually read the Bible a few times, which is kind of unusual for a nine-year-old, but, and, and I was starting to poke enough holes in it that I was talking to my, uh, my pastor and asking him questions that made him very uncomfortable, especially cause I was doing it in public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, so I, I actually went from that to atheist immediately going, oh my God, it's all irrelevant. It, no, nothing, nothing's real. And then I realized... I that, think a lot of people do that, too. Yeah, I do. I do. And, I, think, what, I think organized religion is the leading cause of atheism. Well, you know, and so the thing that really interested me about that, though, is, is that after about a few years, I'm like, but there's still all this stuff that, okay, I'm not saying that we'll never have a rational explanation for, but we don't. And so I that left, to me, that left pure atheism wanting in that respect. And so I decided at that point to do some comparative theological studies. And I just looked at everything and I just realized that none of it really fits, but I do have this acknowledgement that there are things out there that we can't quite put our finger on that are important, that that we shouldn't just be ignoring or, or completely calling irrelevant to our lives. But that doesn't necessarily mean we have to have a structured, disciplined uh, thing around it necessarily. Mm-hmm. But that's my own point of view. What, what I, well, I think atheists and fundamentalists have the one thing in common. Uh, nobody knows. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're all assuming that they're right. Well, and, and that's that's kind of I'm, I, <laughs> I have plenty of atheist friends who I've who have managed to upset uh, by by pointing out that really you have this incredible amount of faith that the scientific method is the be all end all. I mean, sure, it's got it's produced great results, and that's that that if that's what you want to go with, cool. And and frankly, I like the results. This all these computers, they're wonderful. But but um, but are not science and faith the same thing? An attempt to figure out the mechanics of creation. That's pretty much what I thought. I mean, because I'm thinking to myself, John, that faith to me is a pin in the map. So that that way, you know, okay, I believe this. And now from this standpoint, you can try to figure out what else is going on around you and put another pin down where you think you figured that out and then keep, keep looking. Mm -hmm. And so it's not so much that no, I believe everybody has faith. I mean, you, you have faith that if you tie a knot, right, it's going to stay that you're not going to, your shoes aren't going to come untied. Um, If you don't have faith like that, you wouldn't bother tying your shoes, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's just a matter of these words having had so much built around them that I think that people really over overstress their their importance or attach them to things that aren't even appropriate. You know, like you wind up having people who uh, who are atheist and immediately recoil at the word faith because they assume it automatically comes with uh, a burqa. Yeah, sure. <laughs> which is religion, not faith. Exactly. So all right. you know, if God didn't like the tops of women's heads, they'd be born wearing hats. You know, oh, more more not heads. I mean, if you're if you're going to be talking about someone who's technically omnipotent, if God didn't like the top of women's heads. They wouldn't have heads. Yeah. You know, but, and obviously, hello, 
They do. One of my favorite parts. If God didn't like hot sex, he wouldn't make us cry out his, his name when it's really filthy. That's the hangups of mortal men. Yeah, I, You know, honestly, I, I really think that it's a jealousy thing. I think the reason why men don't like, uh, or some men don't like vocal women, I do, is because they don't like the fact that their deity winds up getting called out in the middle of it. it uh-huh. it's, it's awkward. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and and uh, so, but, and that's, again, another reason why I think many organized religions don't allow their priesthood to have sex. You know, again, it's it's awkward. Well, that's not the reason for the Catholic Church. Now, no. the, the Catholic Church, of course, allowed their priests to have sex for over a thousand years. Married priests are the conservative point of view. The first Pope, St. Peter, was married. All the priests and popes and bishops married over a thousand years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the church didn't like these priests and popes and bishops leaving all their land and wealth to their children. Right. So in 1139 A.D., Pope Innocent II made celibacy the law, not because sex was bad, not because Jesus was a bachelor, but because the church was greedy. Way before Da Vinci Code. So to this day, you still see you know all this confusion i say you 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 want to you know solve your sex problems in the catholic church uh number one you let your priests marry number two you ordain women number three you drop this stupid unchristian unbiblical homophobia and you'll be maybe in a generation or two on your way back to getting a reputation absolutely now here's here's an interesting thought then so if the reason why they said no more marriage amongst the priests is because they didn't want offspring to then be able to inherit the land and money uh, that they otherwise wanted to have going back to the church, if medical reliable abortions were available back then, do you think that might have become the creed? That's a good question. Um, R- I, rather than I, denying the marriage. I, I think if they had been available, you would see the same debate then we have now just as viciously on both sides. <laughs> Except, of course, with swords. You know, <laughs> Jesus never said a thing about abortion. He was quite specific about the death penalty. The church, to their credit, is against both. The church is as much against the death penalty as they are against abortion, but they at, don't. At least that's consistent. Well, yeah, but they don't talk about the death penalty too much in the parishes in America because it doesn't test as well. No. The church's job is to get old ladies to open up their pocketbooks and write checks on Sunday. So in Europe, they'll talk more about the death penalty. Here, they'll talk more about abortion. The Pope was against uh, the last two popes were completely against the Iraq war, but you won't hear priest saying that from the pulpit because it might hurt donations. It's a business model. And that's why, again, so many people lose faith with the institutions of religion without actually losing faith in the idea of God or the teachings of Jesus or whatever the fan club you choose to follow. Understood. Now, you and I having actually having a fairly substantive uh, conversation about this, but I'm stealing most of this stuff from, you know, stuff I heard on blue collar radio. Oh, there you go. Absolutely. But here's the, here's what I wanted to make sure to get in here. And now, John, you are in town specifically because of me. No, because because you have a, uh, a show coming up here on the Barrymore. I do, yeah. I'm really thrilled. It's my third time uh, in Madison this year. I, I, it's uh, one of my favorite cities to play in. And um, I was here earlier with the Stephanie Miller Sexy Liberal Comedy Tour, which launched in Madison last year and then became the, one of the top grossing political comedy tours ever. And then I did an off-Broadway show here of mine a couple months ago. But I'm here tonight with Hal Sparks, my tour mate, mm-hmm. uh, star of... Uh, Queer as Folk, Talk Soup, VH1, uh, tons of movies. And Hal, uh, Hal and I are doing a, the Politics, Sex, and Religion tour. We wanted to do a little mini tour for the fall, and we we thought, well, what are the three things you're not allowed to talk about at the dinner table? And those are the three things, that's all we think about, those three things. So, yeah, so we're bringing... A, uh, the two of us together tonight to the Barrymore Theater. We're both doing full headline sets and uh, with a Q&A with the audience at the end. And it's going to be a pre-election special where we get to really, really bring the best Mitt Romney jokes we have to Madison. But there's non- nothing funny about Romney. What are you talking about? Uh, Romney's comedy gold. You know? <laughs> when he got the nomination, all these Republicans and comedians were so depressed thinking they were stuck with this guy. And I'm like, trust me, this guy's going to be great. Oh, yeah. No, well, I mean, for one thing, the the idea... 
I remember back when Al Gore was running, um, Jay Leno had a gag saying that Gore 2000 wasn't the campaign, it was his model number. Now, Mitt Romney makes Al Gore look as organic as you can imagine. Mitt Romney makes Al Gore look like Lil Wayne. You know? And yeah, yeah. And at least Al Gore believed in his convictions. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I'd be saying that if I wasn't working for him oh, now. Yeah, don't diss the boss. No, yeah, I get Now that. that he's my boss, I, I got to say that, I guess. But right. no, I mean, actually, I don't. One of the great things about his TV network I've discovered is what he wants with this channel. It's not the Al Gore vanity project. He wants something that's really independent. And uh, I've never worked in a place uh, before current TV. I've worked for Network cable, you name it. I've never worked at a place that was more encouraging uh, of, of uh, just saying what you want to say and and no censors, no worries about, you know, oh, that might hurt ratings and nothing. I mean, I, only when I've worked for, for British TV have I had this much freedom on the airwaves. And so he, cool. he really is committed to it. But yeah, you're right. You know, and Al Gore believed in what he said. The problem with Mitt Romney is uh, Mitt Romney believes in one thing that he is destined to be president. He is supposed to be president. It is part of God's plan. He is the Mormon who will bring the Mormon church to mainstream history. So you think that he got the exception to have his special underwear be red, white, and blue? I don't think he did that, no. But it's amazing how you can bring that up and people who like to call Barack Obama a Kenyan socialist Muslim will say you're persecuting religion oh, yeah. for making fun of silly stuff like mm -hmm. the magic underwear. Well, I mean, and let's face it. Every religion has things in it that if you are a part of it and you believe in it are significant and important to you that th anybody who doesn't feel that way about it is going to look and laugh. Every religion has got three things, faith, ritual, and myth. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's the ritual and myth that you can make fun of is the faith part, the person's individual connection with the God of his or her choosing that I try to respect. Right. Well, and, and even, and to me, the people who, people who are humanist, I'm actually relatively humanist myself. I see the divine in other people. Yeah. That's, like, that. I, I look, I look at you and I say, God, well, yeah, I feel the it. same way. And you know, Hal, Hal and I, this is why we really wanted to do a tour that dealt with religion because Hal is ferociously humanist and, mm -hmm. and he's brilliant. Mm -hmm. And I'm a, I'm a carb. I'm a uh, Christian anti-religion believer, I guess is what you'd call me. <laughs> so I, I, uh, we, we do bring two very different slices to the table. So uh, no, at, no Atkins for you, pal. Let's go out and we'll do, <laughs> let's go out and do like, let's talk about religion, uh, both, both that which is worthy and that which is really messed up. And let's throw in politics and let's throw in the filthiest sex stuff we have. And let's make an unholy experiment of, uh, of ideas and comedy. Well, if you don't throw in the sex, your, jo your joke's very, very well not reproduced for you. So. <laughs> uh, um, it, it, but but in, in, in all, uh, in all uh, fairness, too, I mean, it's one of those things where, um, again, if you look at another human being and you recognize, you know, namaste, I, I recognize the divine in you, um, that is just as much a, a connection of faith as it is to believe that you've got a connection to um, trees and nature, as a lot of my pagan friends do. Mm -hmm. I myself will self-describe as, pa as pagan as well. It's all the same. Exactly. It's, it's, it, but it, it's all the same, and yet it's all... So very much unique to each individual person, the, the take on it, which is one of the reasons why sometimes I think organized religion attempts to shove people into too narrow a mold. Yeah, one God fits all. I mean, it was Jesus who said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. And when I was a teenager, I really tried to wrap my mind around that idea and it blew my mind. It's the greatest uh, assertion of diversity and of the rightness and holiness of diversity of all kinds. But specifically in there, I believe in religious thought. I always took that to mean that, you know, when Jesus said no one comes to the 
Father, but through me. Okay, this is what our, our fundamentalist Christian friends like to throw out at you. Jesus was a guy who only talked in parable and metaphor, and it's so hard for them to take any part of the Bible as parable and metaphor. Now, when Jesus said, no one come to the Father, but through me, was he speaking literally? You have to actually pass through my rib cage to get there? Well, no, he, he wasn't. He, he, was, he has the holes in the hands. Maybe you're well, trying to Yeah, but no, I mean, I, when I, what I always took that to mean was that he was talking about, you know, through what I stand for. Right. And what does he stand for? is love. And no one will know God without love. And the kind of love that Jesus talked about, the kind of unselfish love where you forgive your enemies, forgive those who hurt you, where you evolve yourself to uh, such an exalted level of human experience because you are not going to let hate screw up your hard drive. So I always took that to be, you know, very much Jesus not hung up on a particular religion. And let's point out, he never left the Jewish faith. No. So, you know, he never, Jesus never said, you have to join this one particular fan club of mine. And what we see is sects and the single church as they fight back and forth and fight back and forth over who has the closest supremacy, who's really behind God's velvet rope. And it's ridiculous. It's offensive. It's it's spiritually insignificant. These stupid debates we have about uh, creationism. I mean, really, creationism? You think that's what Jesus was about? You're going to be a Christian and go to the wall to believe in a talking snake? That's well, and, and not only that, but again, you, you, you look at the look at the universe around us. And if you believe that one being was capable of creating all of this, okay, but that means that that being cannot possibly be within the realm of these little ways you're trying to define them as a as a uh, somehow a male human being. I mean, the whole one of the things. Well, I, get me started on the God as a man thing. You want to upset a fundamentalist? Talk about God's penis. Okay, <laughs> so 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 God's a man. God's a man. So so God, he has he has a head. Yeah, yeah, he's got a head. He has eyes. The eyes of God sure does. And he has a, a penis. Shut up. Well, wait, wait, you said he's a man. Yeah, God's a man. So he has a penis and testicles. No, shut up. Well, what does God use his penis for? Is that for, for when he when he makes love or is that for when he drinks too much fluids and has to evacuate? Shut up. Well, and, and, you know, and put exactly. your money where your mouth is. I mean, is either God's a man or he's not. And on, and on top of that, what did he get Mary pregnant with, if not? Well, now, the Holy but, Spirit was his his vessel for that. Now, but, you know, again, again, if parable, God, if, parable yeah, and, and exactly. metaphor. I mean, if God, if, look, I believe God is a man because a woman would have pulled over for directions a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but but here's the basic thing is, is that I'm like, okay, so no, yes, God can have this representation as well as everything else. If you're going to speak of a being that is omnipotent, then you have to remember that he is seen in everything. The little speck of dust that you just can't get off that vinyl record all the way up, oh, yeah. to, all the way up to the stars blazing in the sky and vice versa. And to think that he is limited to an oil painting of a very <laughs> Caucasian looking man uh -huh. with a beard, long hair in a particular kind of robes that we imagine at that point may have been fashionable in Galilee. Um, this is a very limiting thing. You are right now putting your divine being in a tiny, tiny box. That's and a very lofty conversation. Do you, is your show always this heavy? Um, it can be. That's uh, great. I, 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 and thank you, John. I appreciate that. I'll take this that. reminds me of one time when I was, at BH, I was at BH1 and George Harrison came in. Mm -hmm. And I was the biggest George Harrison fan in the world. I was about to fly to London to interview McCartney. And, and they asked me to stay a day later. And I was a Harrison fanatic. And he came in. And he was producing Ravi Shankar's Chance of India record, and they let me interview him. He came to do a 10-minute soundbite, right? Right, right. And I knew what he would want to talk about. 
he wanted to talk about God and death, what happens when you die, meditation, right. the soul. Mm -hmm. So I just talked about this stuff. The producers in my ear the whole time saying, ask about John Lennon, ask about the Wilburys. And I knew he didn't want to do it. So I, I would poke around that stuff a little bit, but he got much more into talking about this kind of stuff. And 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 at one point, George even said, this is all a bit lofty for VH1. <laughs> um, and they put the special together and we gave him a guitar. He played four songs. He had never, he had not, you know, toured in America since the seventies. Uh, it was amazing. And then uh, he got sick right after that. So, so mm. when they aired the special, no one watched it. Uh, it was just me and him talking with the small talk about music and stuff. Right. When he got sick, I was in Montreal doing the comedy festival and they asked me to come back to New York and recut it. And they put back in all of this talk about uh, God and what happens when you die in the soul. So when George died, VH1 had round the clock playing this 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 interview for an hour of George Harrison and some 26 year old nervous kid talking about these very heavy subjects <laughs> and and there was no other way they ever could have gotten the interview to air uh, on the airwaves there's no way they thought people would watch it he had, right, the guy right. had to die to get this kind of conversation broadcast in America and to this day I'll just, I'll, I'll have I'll have like heterosexual guys walk up to me in the airport and hug me and and they'll say they love the interview but also they it was their favorite discussion of spirituality they ever heard because you can't really do this. What? And I met George Harrison's widow. She said the same thing to me that she 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 was amazing and she was thankful that we had a conversation like that on the airwaves. Because what do you get when you try and talk about spirituality in the American corporate media? You get atheists and you get imbeciles. Mm -hmm. You get people who think that religion is superstition, and then you have people that prove them right. Douchebags screaming at women outside clinics. Right. You don't actually hear conversations like this in the corporate media. Well, you don't actually yeah. get this kind of conversation. I'm, well, and, and see, part of it is, first of all, of course, as you can tell, the, the subject matter fascinates me, but... Um, the fact is, is that I, my show here, TMI with Aldous Tyler, the tagline is the cure for the common media. Ah. And because I just, I believe there are so many things that go unreported, underreported or distorted. And I want to give those some time here. Amen. It's it. I only have one hour a week, but I want to make sure I'm doing it with something that matters to people. And so um, I take stories that are sometimes unpopular or I'll, I'll bring up viewpoints that just aren't aren't thrust upon much. And I knew at least that with you coming in, that we could actually have a conversation that might help open a few eyes out there. Oh, very happy to. Thanks. I mean, for me, it's one of the things, it's, it's one of the fun things about standup. You know, I, I don't really do a lot of commercial material. I do when I have to, you know, but like I'll go and do material like this for the troops overseas. And, and, you know, I do, I, I like talking about religion. I like talking about the difference between faith and religion, between, you know, God and then what is unauthorized fan clubs like to preach to you. Mm -hmm. so. Well, well, exactly. And that's, and that's really it is that I've, um, what I've come to, what I've come to see is that if we, if we actually see each other as equals, that to me is a very spiritual thing. And it, it goes right back to my, my politics too. It, I believe that if we see each, see each other as divine beings, or at least a portion thereof, a piece, a fragment, if you will, mm -hmm. that, and that we are thus equal because we are all fragments of what we can consider divine or sacred. Yes. Then we need to treat each other that way in all aspects of life. Politically, socially, we need to be constructing a world wherein by the fact that I recognize you as my equal, I'm willing to give you the freedoms that I would want. I'm willing to make sure that you have the safety net that I would want to be there if something I do falls through and I'm going to be at risk. I would want you to have the way of life that I would want me to have. Mm -hmm. And that, frankly, right there is is just, it, it, that's where I knew if I brought you in here today, 
<laughs> like, <laughs> or if you volunteered, thank you, to come in, um, I knew that we could have a discussion that would help bridge that gap. Well, that's why I'm doing this tour, because, you know, I, I love the Barrymore. It's a great room to play. But, right. you know, the, you, you can't really do material like the kind of stuff we want to do in comedy clubs. You can talk about sex. You can't talk about politics and religion. Mm. And um, there's so many smart people out there who love, say, Jon Stewart or Bill Maher, uh, but they can't go to comedy clubs because there it's just going to be, you know, they run the risk of having it be a toilet of racism and sexism, homophobia, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. So, you know, we wanted to do a show, uh, a, a tour that would be for people who like a smart political comedy that talks about difficult stuff like this and uh, and and bring it on the road. So it's really, really a pleasure to come to Madison and we just get the, the coolest, smartest, sexiest, most deviant audiences. Well, thank you. I, I will I will take all of those compliments personally, uh, being, being <laughs> both deviant, smart, and all that. Uh, um, now, the one thing I have to ask, because we haven't touched on this quite as much, please, is the sex part of it. Now, we are, of course, on an FCC-guided station, so we have to be a little careful, but it's not as if you don't have any experience with that. Um, with the FCC or the other thing? Well, <laughs> being on the air and having to worry about it. Yes, of course. Um, but the fact is, is that to me, again, it all links together. The closer that we get to treating everybody equally, the more sex there is, frankly. If you are a perv out there, you want people to feel equal and free to, to be respected as, as they want to be respected. Because let me tell you, that allows people to be completely open about who they are on all levels, including what people would consider the most base level, and in my case, the most basic and primal level, which is sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so, again, it all connects together, which is why when you said you were doing, when I heard that you and Hal uh, were coming in town to do politics, sex, and religion, I'm like, oh my God, if I can get John on the air, I know we can talk about this thing. Absolutely. <laughs> so, but but I mean, so so um, in in your mind, when when you see someone who is trying to control what, this omnipotent sky being is all about and at the same time trying to control sexuality and at the same time religiously uncomfortable with anybody else being as free as they are. Do you see that all being connected? Well, sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I, I'm afraid, I'm afraid I well, did the, I, mean, I made the mistake of setting up the question too long. Well, well, yeah, <laughs> but of course it's connected. I mean, let, let's look in the case of, of, of Christianity. Uh, Jesus didn't have any of the sex hangups. Mm -hmm. Uh, that wasn't him. Um, he really, if you, if you look at it, he really wasn't, he, he all that railing against the premarital sex at all. Well, from the sound of it, he was married to uh, Mary Magdalene. Well, that's what they think. Who was never yeah. once called a prostitute in the entire Bible. No. Um, you know, when Jesus has that whole bit about it, you know, lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. You know, what he was talking about was sexual harassment, I think. When I read that part where he's telling these guys, look, if you look on women with lustful looks, you've committed adultery in your heart. Mm -hmm. Because in the same passage, he goes on to say, if you divorce your wife because you no longer delight in her, as Moses' law said was okay, uh -huh. if you do that, you've turned her into an adulteress and turned yourself into adulteress. You know, Jimmy Carter had that whole, I've, I've committed adultery in my heart, and people mocked him for it. When you look at it in context... That's all in the same passage. What is Jesus doing there? He is telling these guys, don't be douchebags to women. Mm -hmm. He's saying, don't sexually harass them with these ogling, lustful looks, and don't kick your wife out for a younger model because you're bored of her. This is Jesus coming out as being the first uh, feminist. Right. And yet, that's taken out of context. It makes it seem like he's a sexually uptight, frigid cat. Same with Book of Leviticus, and it's really St. Paul. You know, the great disconnect of St. Paul, and again, the Bible's sort of like, Jesus is this incredibly liberal celebrity with 
with this incredibly conservative PR guy. Right, okay? right, yeah. And St. Paul's the guy with all the sex hangups. Now, mm-hmm. I've, I've talked to theologians over the years. Bishop John Shelby Spong is one of them, a brilliant guy, Bishop of the Archdiocese of Newark, and he used to debate Jerry Falwell until Falwell decided he was just going to call Spong an atheist and give up. <laughs> I debated Jerry Falwell too once on Bill Maher. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of people who believe that St. Paul may have been a closeted gay man. Because when you read his letters, you wonder, how can some guy be so accepting, forgiving, and loving of all these wretched sinners, but so disgusted when it came to the unholy urges of his own vile, sinful flesh? And if you consider maybe Paul was a closeted gay guy in first century Holy Land, that would explain why he can forgive murderers, but can never forgive his own unholy desires. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. The disconnect of Paul makes perfect sense if you view it through that prism, that this guy was deeply ashamed of his own sexuality. Likewise, when these guys are walking around in St. Paul's time saying, don't have sex, don't get married, don't have sex. They weren't saying because sex is bad. They thought Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. So, you know, a lot of stuff that wasn't intended to be anti-sex has been rendered that way. Well, and not, not only that, because Jesus himself, if I remember right, said that if you have a family, don't go following me. You've got stuff you got to attend to, to, to people who were, wanted to follow him uh, on foot throughout, throughout. Uh, he actually told people to abandon their family if they wanted to really well, follow well, but, but that's what, but that's what he meant. In other words, yeah. as I understood it, it was that basically, unless you're willing to go ahead and actually abandon all your current responsibilities, which you do have, pal, then, you know, basically that, that's it. And at the end of the day, you know, it, metaphorically, that just kind of means that it's not about your family and God. It's about your own private personal connection to the commander in chief, whether you believe in him or her or not. Right. And so, you know, family's great, but at the end of the day, you can't take them with you. And when you die, it's just between you and whatever it is out there. And that's your spiritual path. Your your loved ones have nothing to do with it. And the people who taught you have nothing to do with it. It's really between you and whatever the great big electron is. Well, and that's, and that's really one of the things that, that strikes me, John, is that, um, People look at something like that and they go, wow, that's so isolating. And I'm like, no, no, not really. What that means is while you're here and have the ability to believe in God. Well, well, there's that. But I mean, but I mean, if they, they, they take the, the, what's often the atheist look of the whole about when you die, you rot and that's it. And they go, wow, that's, that's it. There's nothing more. And I'm like, no, no, what you can take away from this, no matter what you actually believe is the end life. um, What you can take away from this is this, while you are here, while you know you are here and are experiencing this life, connect, connect, connect. Make these connections. Talk to people. Enrich their life. Yeah. Let them enrich yours. That is the the key to making sure that no matter what happens, if you do rot in the ground or if you go elsewhere, at least you know the time you spent here was worthwhile. Mm-hmm. You Amen. Know? So, all right, you know, and uh, so we've kind of had a Saturday morning sermon here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but it, it's fun. It's, uh, it's fun to talk about this kind of stuff. And you don't really get to talk about this stuff on most radio shows. You come in and you make a lot of small talk. So it's a pleasure to come here. Like I said, I, I, I love Madison. I, I love playing the Barrymore. It's a great room. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's fun to be able to talk about stuff like this in comedy clubs. I mean, I get called a, a, a Christian bashing heathen all the time, which I'm not. I'm a hypocrite basher, mm-hmm. um, which is great. I just, you know, premiered a series last night on current TV, a week in review show. And I closed it off with a whole bit about the rapture because there are all these, uh, there are two now, um, different Christian broadcasting companies that are opening up studios in Jerusalem. And one of them, uh, Daystar networks ha- that's already established has a webcam 24 hours up on the terrace of their studio, uh, ostensibly to capture Jesus's return. The second he comes back. Now, my theory is anyone, anytime anyone's trying to sell you the rapture, 
they're trying to sell you themselves mm -hmm. and that's the secret of the rapture um because it's all a lot of sci-fi fan fiction crap mm -hmm. um the, the book of revelation the the character of john narrating it isn't john the apostle it's it's this guy named john who's tripping his face off on shrooms in a cave mm -hmm. and writing down his hallucinations and it reads like the last two doors albums lyrics um the word rapture appears nowhere in the bible it was made up by uh john darby a british uh a pastor in 1830 well and and then really well exploited in the song Rapture by um, by Blondie exactly of yeah uh, well really well exploited in these stupid Kirk Cameron movies and these, <laughs> these, these left behind books yes that are all about you know you're the good guy and you're going to go behind God's velvet rope to God's VIP room because you chose the right fan club it's spiritual narcissism mm -hmm. and Jesus himself said ye shall not know the hour nor the day neither the not even the angels know nor does the sun know you left behind reading me denying douchebags I paraphrase him the Aramaic just a bit um so, well, he, he, honestly, with as translated as is, I think you might be, you know, pretty close, a little closer to the original source material anyway. Well, so, so <laughs> you, you know, I was appalled to read about this whole thing. And, and so I'm like, OK, so they're talking about a webcam to capture Christ when he comes back. What's this story really about? Mm -hmm. And when you read a little further, it was in the L.A. Times this week. These companies uh, and, and Trinity Broadcast Network as well are making these studios in Israel to have a platform to try to convert Jews. And Paul Crouch, who's the head of the Daystar uh, Trinity Broadcast Network, says that, um, I'm paraphrasing again here, but that uh, they uh, want to bring the message of Christ to Messianic Jews to show that they can be more complete as Jews. So there you go, Israel. Uh, our evangelicals love you. They just think you're missing a few parts. And so there you have it. What are they selling? They're selling their own club. They're selling themselves. They're not actually going out there and helping the poor, helping the sick, uh, giving comfort to those in prison, avoiding violence, the stuff Jesus talked about. They're trying to get more members in their fan club. Mm -hmm. So they, basically they're, they're, they're saying, okay, let's take this Star of David. Let's see. We got six lines. Good. Let's take out this one, this one, this one, rearrange a little bit. Okay. We got two lines crossed. There you go. Yeah, Perfect. At the end of it, they're like, just do a racket of Jews for Jesus, which to me, Jews for Jesus is like vegetarians for meat. So, you know, again, the rapture is a lot of crap, folks. But hey, it's not the end of the world. Uh, I know some vegetarians who like certain kinds of meat. That no, never mind. That, that, that's a sex joke. We'll, we'll leave that alone. Well, like, um, I, you know, <laughs> I, I launched this series last night, and they let me. I, I, I wrote this piece. We're just tearing apart the rapture historically, and they mm. let me do it. And you know, God bless uh, Current TV and Al Gore for Absolutely. trying to do something that really is about free thought. And I can't wait for the hate mail. To yeah. Come so, in. so let's let's talk about that for a minute now. What uh, current TV not available on everybody's TV? Oh yet. no, it's hard to find. It's it's like the G spot of uh, of television. That's what Joy Behar said. But you know what? Once you do, you'll know you found it. That's what um, Joy said. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, uh, but but give me give me your your uh, your, your schedule. When, when you oh, uh, I'm I, I guest host a lot of shows for them. I'm the universal donor, but I'm doing a weekend review show called So That Happened mm -hmm. every Friday, and uh, then my own daily show will launch this November. Um, I'm working with uh, uh, Frank Conniff of Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand. Love he's the <laughs> head writer on the show and he's going to be an on camera. We're hope, I'm hoping to make him like my Larry Bud Melman once we're up and running. Mm -hmm. So uh, it'll be a lot of fun. And so you can see the daily show now, the, the weekly show now and the daily show launches next month. All right. Very good. So um, that is awesome. And then, of course, tonight here in Madison, you will be at the Barrymore Theater. I will. And I thank you for having me. It's it's great to come in here and, uh, and talk about all this. All fun right. Stuff. Well, and, and make sure to say hi to hell for me. And uh, again, thank you so much for coming in, John. It's been thank an you. absolute pleasure. It's a pleasure to be on your show, Aldous. Oh, you're welcome. All right. You're listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler. We'll be right back.